Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tad Stones of the Disney Afternoon, and I love the great, big, beautiful tomorrow. No, wait, that's not the name of it. Beautiful podcast. Did I get that right? I cannot tell you how many um, 20-somethings were crying on me because <laughs> they were immediately... That, and I would have done the same thing. If I met Ray Bolter, the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz, in a yeah. courtyard at some movie theater after watching the movie, as a, I would have cried on him. All right, listen up, you Disney fanatics out there on the internet. This is Uber Geek Chuck Berry from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, and you're listening to the incredibly awesome Great Big Beautiful Podcast, hosted by Jamie and my good buddy, one of the nicest and most talented people you'll ever meet, Justin. Buckle up, because episode 20 starts right now. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Do you have like any favorite? Do you are you a big fan of monster movies from way back, Jamie? I am. I really enjoy the old, like the old Universal monsters. You know, the old black and whites, like Frankenstein, Dracula, right. um, creature from the Black Lagoon. I love those old timey, not old timey. I don't can't believe I just said old timey, but I love the old, you know, the old practical effects. You know, latex mask. You know, guy in a suit, monsters. Right. Um, yeah, and you, you just don't see enough of that anymore. No, you don't. And do you remember, I know we're a Disney podcast, but we talk about other things. Um, Universal, do they still have that monster movie? I don't know if you, have you ever been there? They do like a monster movie makeup tutorial. Yeah, attraction. the last, I w- last time I was at Universal, I was a kid. Right. It's the Hollywood one. I've never, I don't think I've ever been to the Orlando one. Okay, yeah, I don't think they, I don't think they have it anymore. They may, but that was one of my favorite things to go to. They show how... Uh, different applications of the makeup and it's kind of cool so yeah it's pretty neat the reason we're talking about that is because we have a guest on this week that is well versed in uh dressing up in heavy makeup for roles and yeah and he's been in a ton of stuff so uh you know jamie why don't you talk about him a little bit and we'll we'll introduce him (laughs) yeah Doug Jones is one of those guys that you may not recognize his face, but you've absolutely seen his work. I mean, he's, he's, as I call him, he's, he's the man, he's the modern day man of a thousand faces. I mean, he's been in, I mean, he's most well known as Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. Um, He's also been, you know, bringing it back to Disney. He was Billy Butcherson, the zombie in Hocus Pocus. Um, he was in Pan's Labyrinth as both the Pale Man and the Fawn. He was Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. He's in Falling Skies right now on TV as, as an alien Cochise. He's in The Strain as a vampire. I mean, he's and you just go look at the, his his filmography and it's just film after film after film that you've you've seen you've heard of and you're like i i didn't know he was in that and then you look at his role and and you're like oh of course because i wouldn't have recognized him because he's under so much makeup and he has been in a few films as himself um but by and large he's most well known as the guy in the mask or the guy under all that makeup and he does a fantastic job of it 
So we're going to interview him today, and uh, we have that coming right up for you. So grab some popcorn, sit back for your drive, and or whatever you're doing. I guess they don't have to be driving. You don't have to be driving. Don't go out to your car if you're not in your car. (laughs) All right. Just stay where you are and listen. We're going to play that interview for you right now. Hi, Doug. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for joining the podcast with us this week. Um, When we were doing our research, we learned a few surprising things. Uh, For instance, we saw that you were the man behind the Crescent Moonhead uh, for the McDonald's in the late 80s. That was pretty. (laughs) I don't know how much. I don't know how to answer that besides, yes, I was. (laughs) So I don't know how much that gets brought up, but that was pretty early in your career. So did it come as a surprise when they called, like when you were, had to go to the casting call for it? Or was it was it a surprise how long the campaign turned out to be? No, no. There's uh, every day is Christmas when you're an actor. Uh, you never know what tomorrow, what present tomorrow holds to be opened up. So, uh, yes, a lot of surprises involved with that particular campaign. It was early on in my career. I had only done a couple of other commercials so far, not much, and um, but. Because my agent knew that I was a, had a mime background and a contortionist background, but I shouldn't say background. I can put my legs behind my head. That doesn't give you a background. That basically <laughs> it's I'm more than most people can do, though. Right. right. I have, it's a fun party trick uh, in the right room. You know. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, so he sent me out on auditions for whatever physical tomfoolery casting calls called for. So uh, this one came out for the McDonald's character, Mac Tonight, this crescent moon-headed fellow uh, who sang and played at a piano. And, and, and at first I'm thinking, so they, they, they wanted like a nightclub singer, love you, babe, kind of, hey, Vegas guy. And, and I thought, I looked at myself in the mirror and I, and I thought, this, <laughs> they, might, they might be barking up the wrong tree. Right. So, uh, but then I got there to the, to the cat and I was in the waiting room. And I saw the storyboards pasted onto the wall, and I saw this crescent moon, and I thought, oh, they want to cover my face. Now I know why I'm here. <laughs> of course, of course. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, and that, that just became like this. Uh, they had the music already pre-recorded, so that was not me singing. And I can't remember the guy's name. I think it was Ray something or other. Gosh, he was, he was great. Uh, he sounded very much like Bobby Darren, you know. Uh, and um, he, uh, so you know, I just kind of had to like get the music into my bones and gyrate and be like, hey, yeah, 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 and act out all this visually. And it uh, t- turns out they, they, they loved whatever I gave them. Uh, they said I had the right love you, babe attitude. Oh, that's, that's awesome. A quote. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, but part, part of that audition was because they didn't have the moonhead created yet uh, or fashioned yet, they had to... They wanted to see what what you did without your without your own facial expression involved. So they put a, pl- a paper bag over my head. Oh no way! <laughs> I'm not, I kid you not. I did one take, which is like with myself going, I'm mouthing the words when the clock strikes at the and then it's like, okay, one more time, like, and then, oh god, so I looked like the unknown comic. They had a couple of eye holes cut, you know, cut out. Oh, it was. So humiliating. And yet it got me a job and I bought my first house with that job. So I ended up doing 27 commercials as that character for McDonald's over a three year period. So it turned into a very good gig. Yeah, It's got to be great for the self-esteem of a young actor, though. They call you in for an audition and be like, that's great. But let's cover your head with a paper bag. (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to see any of, you know, that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have such like 
I was I was really surprised when I saw that that was you under there because I have such vivid memories of those commercials. Um, can you play piano, by the way? Yeah, well, huh, I had I had two years of lessons in sixth and seventh grade that did not stick with me. Got it. So, uh, so I, I, but I knew where the keys were, and I had, and I have quite a good reach with my long fingers. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I faked it well, I think. <laughs> but did you know that that character is still around though? Like, there are certain McDonald's that there is still like an, an animatronic Mac tonight sitting at the piano and it will come alive and play. It's frightening. I've seen one in person. Yeah, they are. I, you would be shocked how many photos and videos I get sent to me on the social media with, Doug, did you know this is in Atlanta, Georgia? Yeah, totally, totally. And also the uh, the cartoon, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 trademark of Mac tonight is also on like the 24-hour late night drive through window moniker. He's around. He's around. Still around. That's, it's, it's yeah. a, it's mind blowing to me that he's still around. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned um, contortion that you, that you kind of have a have a background in contortion. Um, how like how does something like that start? Do you just say, "Hey, I can bend really weirdly," and and you just go from there, or was it something that you really tried to set out to do? No, I know. I, I never. I never wanted to go run away and join the circus. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I, I basically sit funny when I watch TV as a kid. I had my knees up by my ears, I guess. And with three older brothers saying, that looks weird, Dougie, stop it. <laughs> uh, would be like, oh, yeah, you want to see something more then? So you push the limits and all of a sudden you've got both legs behind your head and you're there, everyone's running out of the room going, God, stop it, it's gross. It's that. <laughs> and that, that's when you realize I might have an act in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> So you have a long-standing relationship with Del Toro. Um, how did you two meet, and how did that relationship develop? Oh gosh, uh, uh, I, I hope that this isn't boring that I'm rehashing this again. But uh, but uh, but I, I love the man dearly, and um, I met him on Mimic in 1997. Yeah, uh, that was his first uh, American big-budget film. He'd he'd had quite a reputation in Mexico at the time or before that. Uh, he had done one feature film before that called Chronos with Ron Perlman in it, by the way. And uh, he had, you know, done a lot of television, a lot of, com- a lot of commercials in, in Mexico and had created creatures for them. So he was, he was a monster maker. He was a creature effects guy and writer director. He was just kind of like a, a one-stop shop for all your, all your television needs. Um, and so his first American feature film was Mimic. Uh, and so I didn't know who he was, and I was called in just to do three days of, um, of pickup shots. So the movie was about to come out in, in three, or, three weeks or so in 1997, the summer of. And I got this phone call at the last minute, like, hey, Doug, are you free to do a night shoot tonight to get some couple, a couple of pickup shots for this movie? And I was like, you know, out-of-work actor, of course I'm free. <laughs> so... Uh, so I ended up at 11 o'clock that night uh, on a night shoot downtown L.A., uh, <laughs> standing on top of a brick building, looking over the edge within an inch of my life uh, in, in a bug suit costume. Because you remember Mimic, they were the overgrown cockroaches that took right. over uh, uh, New York City subways. Okay. Right. Yeah. right. As which they I do. Think, which I think is a true story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not uh, fiction. Right. Based on a true story. <laughs> uh, so... 
uh, I was called in to wear that costume that the uh, uh, that an actor up in Toronto had worn in the movie itself uh, during principal photography. But him being a Canadian, he was not able to come down and work uh, without a visa in uh, in the states in LA for these quick pickups. So I, so I ended up working three days because I was the tall, skinny guy that that the creature effects shop went through their Rolodex. Who are we going to find that'll fit this tall, skinny? <laughs> ah, Doug, perfect, top of the pile, <laughs> right. So, uh, so it was on day number two that uh, I was sitting at the lunch table and Guillermo del Toro sat down across from me. I didn't know who he was. I wasn't even quite sure he was the director. And the way he acted, I was really not sure he was the director because he <laughs> sat down and put his chin in his hands and he said, so tell me everything you've been in before. <laughs> so I started talking about about my career and like things, you know, 97, what did I, you know, I had done Hocus Pocus by then. Oh, really? Who did the makeup on that? Uh, Tony Gardner. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tony Gardner. He's a nice guy. Is he nice? He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. Yeah, I love Tony. <laughs> so that kind of conversation was coming out. Um, I had also been done Tank Girl by then and, uh, oh gosh, Batman Returns and V. Neil did my makeup as, a, as an evil clown on that. Um, and uh, and in Tank Girl, that was my first my first brush with Stan Winston Studios, making me into one of those kangaroo guy rippers. Nice. So yeah, so we had monster stuff to talk about. Yeah, and and, right. uh, and uh, so he was just like listening, like a little like he was an eight year old fanboy tucked into a big roly poly man's body, <laughs> and uh, and so I just fell in love with him, and uh, and and so we really connected on on a a love of creepy crawly things, and so before lunch was over that day, he said, "Do you have a card?" So I gave him this card of, uh, was, I had my phone number coming out of my mouth, kind of like, oh nice, <laughs> a, you know, a, it was a, a profile drawing of myself that I had done myself and duplicated on the card. He chuckled and put it in his wallet, and then five years later is when, uh, yeah, I did. So I went on to do other things. I did the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode in the meantime. That when when I was on the Hush episode of that yeah. as the lead gentleman. Uh, I did the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie. I did Monkey Bone with Brendan Fraser. Uh, I did the Time Machine with uh, Guy Pierce, and I was the lead spy Morlock. And that revisiting my uh, uh, Stan Winston Studios, who created that look on me. So I done. I you know. So life went on for yeah. another five years, and then I got another another random phone call. Hey Doug, it's Steve Wang. You're. It was another Creature Effects makeup guy. I did a, a don't. Uh, 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 but anyway, another movie with <laughs> I forget the time. It, it was forgettable, by the way. Uh, the movie, not the creature, it was so right. beautiful that it, it was a tooth fairy uh, character he made for me. And I uh, said, so Steve Wang's calling, and he's saying, Hey, Doug, I got a director here who says he knows you. Uh, so I he put him on the phone, it was Guillermo del Toro, and they were, and what had happened earlier that day, uh, they had been creating at spectral motion creature effects shop the abe sapien look uh they had done a sculpture a maquette of of abe uh and that was the day that guillermo del toro came into the shop to give his final approval or changes or whatever to the character and rumor had it and it's been confirmed so it, it, it did happen he walked into the room they unveiled this maquette sculpture of abe sapien and guillermo del toro fell to his knees and said oh I am so fat, <laughs> which, 
which we think was his way of saying, what a beautiful, thin creature this is. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's when the guys at the shop, uh, Mike Elizalde here on the shop, and the sculptor uh, Jose Fernandez and Steve Wang, the, the designer, uh, all chimed in and said, you know, the perfect person to play this is Doug Jones. And Guillermo del Toro said, Doug Jones, wait, I know Doug Jones. And he pulled my card out of his wallet five years after I gave it to him. So I got a phone call. <laughs> so that's how Hellboy happened for me. That, uh, that card was uh, worth his weight in gold then, I would assume. Right. Well, I think I have, we all learned a lesson today where I carry a card. <laughs> <laughs> Always have one ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Hellboy, and as I'm sure you know, fans have been clamoring for Hellboy 3, and we, I would yeah. be remiss if I didn't ask, because practically since 2 came out, people have been asking about a 3, and for the longest time, Del Toro has been saying, no, no chance, budget this, money that, Mignola this, We're not, it's not going to happen. However, Ron Perlman recently hinted online that it could be happening. Now, is this anything more than just hopes and dreams? Is there anything that you can share? Uh, well, I, you know, he, he, I, I, I let, uh, oh yeah, we have to get real specific here on this because this is a, this is quite, <laughs> Ron Perlman opened a huge Pandora's box. With he this did. One. It started on Twitter a few weeks ago for those who, who aren't, aren't up to speed with, with this, the backstory. And if, if you're a geeky fanboy who's not up to speed on this, you've been living under a rock. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it did, it did go va- rather viral rather fast. Um, uh, uh, Ron Perlman put out a tweet, uh, a tweet on the Twitter <laughs> saying, um, uh, anybody else want to see this as much as I do? Uh, let's get this mother effer trending. Hashtag yeah. Hellboy 3. Uh, and that would be the Roman numeral 3. I-I-I. Hellboy I-I-I. Well, I happened to be scrolling through my Twitter feed when he put that up. And I, so I was like one of the first ones to respond. I was like, oh. I hit the reply <laughs> button and said, locking elbows with you, big brother red. Hashtag Hellboy 3. He wrote back and said, well, with you on board, we can't miss. Hashtag Hellboy 3. <laughs> oh, and then we just so, went from there. <laughs> yeah, so then from there, it went nutty cakes. And um, and every news source, every entertainment site, I mean, Entertainment Weekly, The Hollywood Reporter, Daily Variety, everybody picked up the story that Ron Perlman is yeah, rallying the troops and getting the fan base. So that's really what it was, um, you know. Ron has wanted to do the movie Hellboy 3. I want to do Hellboy 3. Selma Blair wants to do Hellboy 3. Jeffrey Tambor wants to do it. Guillermo del Toro has, has, is, is now fully on board. He would love to, creatively, artistically. And I think that Mike Mignola, who wouldn't want to see their, their, you know, their comic book uh, complete a trilogy on film for the, for the fan base who are now falling in love with the whole, the whole franchise, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think everybody creatively on, is on board. And if it's not happening, then you have to just assume it, it's probably a money thing. It's probably a studio thing. It's probably a political thing. I don't know. That's outside my expertise, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But um, but uh, so I think this was Ron's way of saying, let's get it moving. Let's get it going. Here's the look behind us. There's a there's millions of people saying we want it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that was his way of proving the fans are there. They're holding money, waiting to buy tickets, and uh, and we must appease them. You know, so uh, it did get trending within the day, and uh, and I don't know, I don't know who's heard the message or at the you know at the studio level who uh, who's been paying attention or not. Uh, um, I don't know. From your lips to God's ears, I hope that I hope we can make it. 
Well, as do I. I mean, as is obvious, the frenzy behind that fan base is something to behold. And I mean, it's I mean, you guys were lucky enough and we were lucky enough to get those two animated movies as well. So you were all thank you. Yeah, you were all able to return um, to the characters and to the universe. And and that's something that that doesn't happen very often is when a movie becomes something animated. But almost everybody in the cast came back for it. Yeah, and, th- and yeah. I think that really speaks to all of your love for the characters as well and your dedication to it. So- oh, it does, because you know, nobody gets really rich off of... We, we didn't get rich off those animated movies. Uh, you know, it was yeah. it was a love for the characters, a love of the franchise, a love of, of you know, the world of, of the BPRD and Hellboy, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it'd be great. it would be great to see Hellboy 3. It would be great to see the characters come back in another incarnation somehow. Um, but yeah, yeah, so fingers are crossed. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Me, me too. And I, I've also I put it out there a long time ago that I, I think there there had been some idle talk. Uh, uh, you know, there's always talk of, and of possibilities of, of even my character Abe Sapien coming back because there was a, a spinoff comic book called Abe Sapien. Yeah. yeah. There was an, uh, another spinoff comic book uh, just just called the BPRD. Yep. And Abe was the central figure of that. So there's there's other there's other properties within the Hellboy universe that could yeah. be turned into something, even if it's a TV series. There was some talk of that maybe even for a while. So uh, you know, I I don't know. Again, we're uh, Ronnie and I are not getting any younger, so we're that's why I think another reason why he put the campaign out there the uh, because. We're 10 years apart. Uh, uh, he's my big brother. Uh, he's 65 now. And he was, you know, and he's been saying, like, if we don't get on this soon, yeah. uh, I'm going to be playing Hellboy from a wheelchair. So. <laughs> so, But he probably would. He probably would. Yeah. Oh, he will. Yeah. Of course he would. <laughs> Great um, plot twist, right? Absolutely. Hellboy. Nobody saw that one coming. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> right. Um, we were talking. You were talking earlier about uh, your roles that you had to have heavy makeup for them to monster type uh, roles, um, and all those calls tend to be for bad guys. So, and you have played some good guy characters. So, do you have a preference on which you play? Oh yeah, uh, you know, uh, as 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 a costumed, heavily made up actor goes, I've had the privilege to be, to play more good guys than I have a right to. Um. You know, because oftentimes we are the villain and and the the monster that wants to, uh, you know, is slay every teenager in the woods while they're smoking pot and having sex at a, on a camping trip, right? <laughs> uh, I just described, by the way, every script I get submitted throughout the year. Uh, <laughs> at least ninety percent, right? But you're right. But that is the story that I always say no to because it bores me to tears. It's been done. It's just too formulaic. It doesn't yeah. have any redeeming value to me. Uh, so. So what do what what do sing to me? It does sing to me. Are are the characters that um, that have some redeeming value? And, and uh, so you know, if you now that I am in Guillermo del Toro's camp, uh, he'll always write his monsters with some kind of heroic human side to them. Right. And right. Uh, so so for that I'm I'm uber appreciative. Uh, so I I I love playing the good guys because those are the characters. Uh, even the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth, when I did that with Guillermo, um, uh, he, he, you didn't know if he was good or evil until the very end of the movie. Uh, but he was very much the, the character who pushed along little Ophelia, the heroine of the story, into fulfilling her destiny. Um, so by the end, it's like, you know, so young people all over that watch that movie and connect with that young girl character now have grown up to be- love the fawn and, and he's become an integral part of their development even in some cases. So 
Uh, you know, it's the effect that a good guy character has on people is is has a ripple effect that goes on forever. So I do I do love the good guys, and I, um, even like Billy Butcherson from Hocus Pocus when I played that mm-hmm. that uh, zombie guy. When you meet me in the film, you think, oh no, here's the bad guy, right? Uh, or one another bad guy, a, a conduit to the bad ladies. Uh, the the witches and I end up being like a champion for the kids by the end of the movie and uh, I'm actually helping them fight back the witches and uh, so I, I love those those the, I love the bait and switch like oh it's a bad guy but wait no he's good yeah. much like the Silver <laughs> Surfer that I got to play too right. in the Fantastic right. Four sequel right start of the movie I'm about I'm preparing Earth for its destruction welcome Galactus come suck the life out of Earth <laughs> and uh, by the end of the movie I've turned I've I've uh, I, I see. I see the the good in humans, and I, they remind me of, uh, and of course, uh, Jessica Alba as uh, Sue Storm reminds me of of my love back home, and so that's the, so he makes a turn, and, and he and he, he he was never, even even evil characters, are just surviving. You know, the Silver Surfer was put into service to Galactus, just because his he sacrificed himself to do that to save his planet. So he's doing evil things, but for a really good backstory, you know. Right. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I like I like the, the, the anti-heroes, the ones who who kind of like become heroes by accident, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah those are kind of fun for me. Um, we, we, speaking of the comic book, um, you're talking about the Silver Surfer. Um, you just entered the DC universe as Deathbolt on Arrow and the Flash. So, so are, are you yes. a comic book fan? Do you do you enjoy doing roles that are comic book based? <laughs> you know, I get asked that a lot because I've done so much in the comic book world uh, on film now. But uh, it's funny when I was when I was a young person growing up, the comic books that I read were the Archies. Right. It's me too. Me too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and I'm and my I might have I might have like had a look at my brother's uh, Superman and Dick Tracy there a little, little bit of, of, of those. Uh, but yeah, but but now when I when I I, I understand the love of, of comics and, and the, the, the wonder and the imagination that, that can run wild with a comic book, it, it, it is a magical experience. And uh, I but I discovered it more as an adult with superheroes because of just having to research the parts that I was given. Because right. uh, I don't want to go into a superhero movie without knowing the source material it comes from, right. uh, and that, that's a disservice to the fans for sure. Uh, they're expecting that beloved character from the pages that they that they massage with their fingers and go, mm, "I love this comic." <laughs> uh, you know, right? They want to see that done right on film, mm-hmm. and so if I'm playing that character, I really want to make sure that I that I'm doing them right. You know. Uh, so, so when I was given the role of Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies, I was also given a stack of graphic novels to go research some back study before I read the script, right? So I, I got to know Abe as, as a part of the BPRD from the comics. I got to know the Silver Surfer uh, the same way, looking at his origins in the Fantastic Four comic books and then the spinoff. And, and that original artwork by Jack Kirby and, and, uh, and the uh, original writing uh, of, of his beautiful, beautiful lyrical dialogue – uh, poetic dialogue written by Stan Lee. Uh, you know, the, 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 you can't get any more better backstory, better, better you know, um, inspiration to play a role in film than that kind of thing. You know, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you ever get tired of wearing all the prosthetics and the makeup and the hours in the makeup chair? Or I mean, does it does it get old to you? Well, you know, uh, yeah, anybody would be lying if they said no. Of course not. I love it. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no, there comes a time with every job where you're like, oh, God, another day of this, really. Yeah. But uh, but in the end, uh, uh, you're, make, you're making a piece of art that will live on forever. So and, and every job has an end in sight. There's there's a light at the end of all those tunnels, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it just, you know, what kind of sacrifice uh, I, I will I will take the the example that these superheroes have set for me and I will sacrifice a little something so that, that uh, the moviegoer has something to enjoy for forever and ever uh, that I can suffer for a couple of months if they can have enjoyment for decades and years to come yeah. uh, now a perfect example of this was on Hellboy 2 the Golden Army when uh, uh, that was a brutal schedule we filmed in Budapest Hungary uh, for six months in and in that was six day work weeks we had sundays off but not all of sunday because saturday went into sunday morning right and then right. monday morning started really kind of like sunday night ish yeah so <laughs> I, I i was sleeping four hours a night at the most i was working 18 hour days because my makeup started so early my makeup was taken off so late uh, why day. did you even why? take it off? I mean, you could have just left well, it on, right? <laughs> right. Well, uh, th that's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, I never knew from day to day. Like, you know, when they start the makeup removal process, they haven't given you your call time for the next day yet, so you uh, don't know. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, you know, the makeup artists are there. That's the part of their job to, to get you cleaned up. And you do sleep better when you're not wearing prosthetics. I've done it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, like on the, uh, the Pale Man character I played with the hand, yeah, eyes and yeah, the, uh, yeah. the Pan's Labyrinth. That was a week, like a, a, like a Tuesday through Friday, of me not taking the, uh, the makeup all the way off. I had the, the 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 head and hands came off, but I left the entire body glued to me because it was it just took so long to get on. Yeah. yeah, that I they wrapped me in Saran wrap so I wouldn't stick to myself and <laughs> sent me back to the hotel. Uh, it wasn't their choice; that was my choice, and I saved I saved the whole team a lot of sleep uh, on that one. But it's not something I offer very often, you know. Uh, so, uh, uh, but on Hellboy 2, right, so there's, we were filming the Tooth Fairy scene where the Tooth Fairies come flying out of the walls in the, the, in the auction house. Uh, after we were investigating the crime scene of like, where did everybody go? There were a whole bunch of people here. Now there's just a bit of poop on the floor. What happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, during the, the filming of that scene, it was right in the middle of the six-month movie shoot. And, you know, I was just drained and showing up, just limping in every day. And I was sitting in my set chair between shot setups, like I often did, and uh, like I often do. And I was just kind of like, you know, doing this little tilt off, like uh, eyes closed, head going, nodding like an old man in a nursing home. And I hear that these footsteps come shuffling up. And it's Guillermo del Toro's footsteps. It's like I'm a dog who understands, who hears his master's foots, you know. I, <laughs> Oh, oh, here he comes. So I kind of, I kind of perked up and, and I, he put his arm on my, he put his hand on my forearm and he said, I know we are killing you, my friend. <laughs> and, uh, and to which I said, yes, yes, you are. <laughs> but, uh, but there's love. And, uh, and, uh, and he said, well, the good news is there will be pilgrimages to your grave. <laughs> So what, what he meant by that, of course, was we're making a piece of art that will live on, like I just said. So uh, yeah. uh, so it, it'll be it's all the sacrifices well worth it in the end. Yeah. Um, real quickly, just because I'm curious, um, the pale man um, out makeup. Could you actually see when that was on? Not well. Uh, if you saw the nostrils uh, on that, the, it was kind of a flat face with with two nose holes. Yeah. 
uh, that were kind of like high and center on the face. Um, I looked, I could be, if I did a, went cross-eyed, I could look through them the wrong, you know, I, this way with that eye and this yeah. way with that eye. Uh, so I, I, it was very headachy. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I could, I could make, I could map out the room a little bit if I tilted my head up and kind of <laughs> scanned the room with the one. And then, the, you know, I do that a lot in the characters I play, especially for, for Del Toro. Uh, a lot of the characters I play in his films and TV shows don't have eyes in the right place. So, so your, your real eyes are covered up with latex foam rubber or silicone and you kind of have to feel the room out and rehearse it and walk through it and know where all the furniture is and where the other characters are. And once you kind of have your, your flight pattern down, you know, and they roll film, it's like, okay, I, I I live in this every day. Of course it's natural. I I got no way around. Yeah. Um, some of the roles that you've performed for one reason or another, um, have been voiced by other people. And I'm just wondering how that affects your performance when you know that going into it. Yeah. I, I've, it's only happened a couple of times. Yeah. I, 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 unfortunately it was a couple of key times. And so this question comes up more often than I, than I want it to. Oh, of course. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It, uh, it's, it's, it's all right. It's, uh, uh, it's out there. So, um, no, but, uh, uh, in Hellboy one, I was voiced over by David Hyde Pierce after the fact. So it does not change my performance at all. Okay. I, I go in and I, I give them all of it as an actor does. I gave them the visual and the audio performance. Um, so if they voice over it later, that's their business. It's really none of my business. Yeah. Um, it is now, though, because my contracts now protect me from that happening again. I, I don't go into a project knowing that if they want to like voice over me with someone more famous than me, then let that famous person play the part then. That's, that's my attitude now. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it only happened, like I said, a couple of, a couple of times. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's disheartening a little bit because, you know, no actor wants to see part of their performance taken away or replaced, sure. uh, any more than, than, uh, than Van Gogh would have wanted to see someone scratch out part of his paint and put on a Sharpie right. with a, a smiley face on one of his masterpieces. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I, am not saying that anything I do is a masterpiece. Good gosh, don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> but, it, but it's, if it's your performance, you want it to shine through. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and someone, another actor bringing their voice to a, a character that you've played, you know, even if they're, they'll, it's going to change a little bit and, yeah. and it'll, it might vary off of, off of the original vision you had for him and all that a little bit. But, um, you know, but in the end, uh, I, I'm not ashamed of any, of anything that's happened. I'm just like, I look back, I just, I just, I have contracts to protect me from that happening again now is all. So with less than, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Um, Crimson Peak. Comes yes, out, comes out this fall, and for anybody who's listening is not aware, um, again, get out from under the rock. It's uh, Del Toro's haunted house film. Um, what can you tell us about it? Right, where it is right now, and what's happening? Yeah, uh, it comes out October sixteenth in theaters everywhere, and um, it is a beautiful Victorian haunted house story. Um, the haunted house itself it was all built on a set in Toronto. Uh, it is uh, the interiors anyway, mm-hmm. and it's, it was ginormous and huge and beautiful and every detail. Uh, again, typical Del Toro film. Every artistic detail of every prop, every set piece, every all the production design, everything artfully done visually, all has a reason and a backstory and a and a you know and a, and, a, and, a, and a plot point or something he has very specific reasons for every, everything you see in his films mm-hmm. this is no different it's going to be it's going to it's going to wow your eyes and you're going to be like ah. <laughs> uh, 
and the, the cast is fantastic too. We got Tom Hiddleston, we have Jessica Chastain, Charlie Hunnam, and the lovely young uh, Mia Wasikowska who played Alice in Wonderland. She's the, the she's the centerpiece of the film, really. It's her story, uh, and um, I. When I finished my two characters, I played two characters in the film. When I finished them, uh, I asked Guillermo del Toro, what can I tell people in interviews uh, that I did in this movie? Because <laughs> he was kind of being secretive about it at the, at the time. And I, he said, because I filmed my stuff for this like in February of 2014. Oh, so wow. it's been a, been a while. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, post-production was 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 very uh, long and arduous, and they wanted to release the film in October, around Halloween time, of course. Sure, sure. So, uh, so, just, so there's been a long wait. So I, I told him I'm going to be doing an awful lot of press for other things. In the meantime, this is going to come up. What can I tell people? He said, well, uh, <laughs> tell them it's a haunted house story, and what the F do they think you played? <laughs> so, yeah. So you can guess now that I'm a, probably a couple of ghosts in the story, which I can say out loud now because the trailer has come out in the meantime. And in the trailer, uh, uh, you'll see both of my characters either hinted at or or, or snippets of. Awesome. Uh, one, uh, But I'm a couple of lady ghosts. Uh, and my friend Javier Botet, who played the mama ghost in Mama, that movie, lovely movie, uh, he also plays uh, a few char- uh, ghost characters in uh, Crimson Peak as well. Also ladies. So I'm not going to tell you why they're lady ghosts or why they're hanging around the house or what they want to get across to anybody who's listening. Uh, that's to be discovered when you watch the movie. Excellent. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm, but it, I'm uh, really it, excited for that film. Yeah, it's just just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're technically a Disney themed podcast. So when we have guests on, we try to make a connection in any way possible, and then that's our okay. They have a Disney connection. So we have to bring it back to them just a little bit here. Are you are you surprised at the enduring popularity that Hocus Pocus has had in pop culture? You know, uh, I would I don't know if surpri- uh, surprised is is a is semi right because uh, um, you know any any movie project and we go into uh, any actor or writer or director or anyone who works on a film. We're all hoping that it's going to be the hit. You know, you all hope that that's this is going to be the one that's going to take us to the stratosphere. <laughs> uh, all right. So Hocus Pocus was no different. We were making the film and I could tell we were doing a, a very family friendly, kid friendly, uh, uh, you know, semi scary, but but feel good. Sure. Uh, Disney, Disney movie, you know, yeah. uh, and Bette Midler's in it. Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy and Jimmy, um, you know, how we, we it was it was a, it was a no miss kind of formula I um well the thing was uh so I I thought at first like yes this is going to be huge and my role as Billy Butcherson the goofy floppy zombie in the movie was going to be put me on the map I was going to be huge after this <laughs> so this is 1993 the movie came out in theaters in July of 93 and they advertised it as another Bette Midler comedy which it was kind of but it was also the kids were really the heroes of the film, yeah. and it was it was a movie that kids could relate to and that kids would grow up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't market it that way necessarily, and I'm not again. I'm not. I would never poo-poo Disney's marketing plan. I, they had ideas for what they wanted right. to do, and that's that's their expertise, not mine. Uh, 
but the box office did reflect something going amok. Um, amok, amok, amok. Yeah, they're perfect. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, but uh, but they uh, they um, uh, uh, and putting it in July against all the summer blockbuster movies was just like box office death. Um, Instead of it, it could have been opened in October yeah. uh, with a Halloween theme, perhaps. <laughs> and uh, there you go. But so it it didn't it did rather dismal box office in the U.S. and then kind of made its money back a little bit plus something in worldwide. But but this magical thing happened when the home video market opened up right. and when um, uh, the TV running of the show. Again and again, it became, it was an ABC, uh, I think Disney used to have a Sunday night show, I think, uh, uh, on ABC, The Wonderful World, wonderful of, World of, of Disney. Disney. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I yeah. believe that they, they ran Hocus Pocus on network television yeah. Yeah. and then ABC Family has run it incessantly ever since, uh, you know, a couple times throughout the year, but uh, surely all of the month of October, it airs several times every year. So it's kind of become like the Wizard of Oz of Halloween. Yeah, and, uh, one of those stock Halloween movies that everybody you have to watch. Yeah, right. And you gather your friends, you make the popcorn, you dress up, you 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 recite the lines with uh, that you've memorized over the years. You know, uh, you know, uh, yeah. it's just become like an event film. And um, and what I'm we had our 20 year anniversary a couple of years ago. Uh, the film came out in '93, so in 2013. Uh, we had a 20-year reunion at Disney Studios, uh, at uh, yeah Disney Film Studios in Burbank, mm-hmm. um, and they had like a, a a fan screening that day. And I'm not sure how the fans even heard about it, but they but the diehards uh, combed the Webernet, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, so we had a meet and greet with a few of us from the cast and a, a panel Q and A after the screening. It was just a glorious fun day. Uh, Bet. And Sarah Jessica Parker were not able to to be with us, but Kathy and Jimmy was there, and all three of the kids, uh, 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 Max and and uh, Danny and uh, uh, oh the Vanessa Shaw played the Vanessa teenage Shaw, girl, yeah. Uh, but but um, and Danny, of course, was Thora Birch, and uh, and Max was Omri Katz, and so everybody showed up, and they're all in their thirties now. They're all grown adults. It was just like yeah. so. It was a a magical day for me because after the screening, we we went out to the courtyard on the studio lot there and the the fans just had like standing on the lawn on the lawn in the beautiful afternoon sunshine had brought their DVDs and VHS VHS copies of the movie. Uh, They had a 20 year collector's edition poster that was given out to everybody in attendance. And uh, so we were just signing things and posing for photo ops. And I cannot tell you how many twenty-somethings um, were crying on me because <laughs> they were meeting. That, and I would have done the same thing if I met Ray Bolger, the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz, in yeah. a courtyard at some movie theater after watching the movie. As a, I would have cried on him. Yeah, right. I would have. It's it's an so, insane experience to have as a fan. It is. I, I I understand that. So so, but 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 you know, but it was so surreal for me though to know that to be on the same place, the same studio lot where we filmed the movie twenty years prior. Now we're standing here with a little more maturity, a little more growth in our lives and careers, and and we're revisiting this movie and these kids that have been watching it. Now some of them are old enough to have kids of their own, and they're learning them up on it. You know, they're, yeah. they're they're teaching them to watch it every Halloween as well. 
it's just like uh, it was just so fulfilling, so fulfilling and goosebumpy. Uh, it was a, one of the happiest memories I've had as an actor was that day. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, what, what what's surprising is that um, it always felt like one of those movies that even though it had this enduring quote unquote cult popularity, it mm-hmm. felt like it was one of those films that Disney, the corporation, had sort of forgotten about. And generally speaking, but. Um, this year, this coming fall, there's a uh, every Walt Disney World does a big Halloween event party. Yes, there's a hocus pocus villain show with the Sanderson <laughs> sisters, and it's like right. it, it kind of came out of nowhere. You know, it was just like all of a sudden, like they brought back the Sanderson sisters in 2015. Right, <laughs> right. and uh, of course, on social media, the people were, were <laughs> yeah. you know, nutty cakes. Uh, I, that 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 story was published and copied and pasted and linked and you know it's like yeah. it started showing up all over everywhere uh doug did you see this have you seen this is billy gonna be there i, I don't know <laughs> then, then the yeah. sequel uh, rumors start and start fluttering and around. The, all the sequel rumors well the sequel rumors have been quite a quite a thing over the, over the past couple of years anyway um you know the, and there was there was some official talk at the 20 year reunion in 2013 i was telling you about um our uh Writer producer David Kirshner was there, and and he announced to the crowd that yes, that there there has been talk of a sequel huh. in real life, you know, not just fan banter. Um, and I was I was aware of this because because uh, uh, he had told me a slightly, and I I believe that Billy Butcherson is indeed my character, uh, the storyline that he would had pitched to Disney. Uh, involved me heavily. Awesome. Uh, so, so that sounded great to me. Um, yeah, but you know, whatever's happened with that, I don't know. Uh, then there was some rumor that came out about Tina Fey doing some kind of a of a hocus pocus sequel, but she announced that she's doing a Disney witch movie, but it is not hocus pocus two. Wow. Um, and then some fans uh, with with lots of talent in in and art. Uh, put to if have photoshopped together the Sanderson sisters dancing in front of New York City with Hocus Pocus 2 and they have a whole storyline written up and everything and you know when those things get out there on social media you don't know wh- what the source is and so so constantly I'm answering Doug is this true do you know anything about this right like no I know that there's some fans with really great hopes and dreams for a sequel and with some great photoshop skills that's what <laughs> So uh, we we read or heard I can't remember what it was uh, awful I know uh, that Jack that you one of your dream roles is to play Jack Skellington in a theater production of A Nightmare Before Christmas and yes. now like it just seems so obvious like like Jamie was saying to me or he was talking about it that you know we can't imagine anyone else playing him so is that hmm. is that always been your dream or is it still your dream? Oh yeah, uh, it's on my bucket list. If I, uh, you know, uh, if if when I'm asked, like, is there a role that you haven't played yet that you would love to? It would be a live stage production of of A Nightmare Before Christmas as Jack Skellington. Yes, I would love that very much. Um, another another answer to that question also was uh, Nosferatu. I've always wanted to play uh, that classic black and white vampire that started them all on film. Funny and, that. Uh, What's that now? I was—I said funny that because you just kind of went ahead and made that one happen. 
Well, don't be, I, I, that's a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks to a successful Kickstarter campaign and uh, some private financiers that are going to uh, build up the, the budget to um, uh, a very workable level, we uh, are hopefully going to be filming in October. Uh, early October to um, uh, uh, to do a, a remix, we're going to call it, of Nosferatu, and it's done. Uh, it's so funny that that my my dream of of playing Nos, uh, a classic vampire would be to do it in black and white, to do like a revisit of an old school classic vampire, not nothing sparkly and nothing young and pretty with great abs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I got you. Uh, <laughs> right, because I'm too old for that anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> So I really wanted to do, and, and Nosferatu with you know is I, I find his ugliness just so beautiful, yeah. uh, the count the count Orlock character. So what I after putting that out there a lot in a lot of interviews I've done over the years I've mentioned Nosferatu many many a time for decades, and I, I got this phone call randomly uh, about six months ago from my director friend David Lee Fisher who directed me in another remix that we did called The Cabinet of Dr Caligari. Yeah. Uh, which was a, a, a redo uh, of the 1919 black and white silent film, uh, and and he did it in black and white also with uh, with talking dialogue uh, that really, but it was but it was filmed in the same style as the silent film, and we were all filmed on green screen and plopped into matte shots of the original film. Right, and a great a great technology process. So it, there was some of the original film showing, which is what's so, it's such an homage and such a, a sort of so respectful to the original because the original's in it. Yeah. So is that uh, technique, so we, are they going to do the same technique for Nosferatu? Exactly. Same technique for Nosferatu, which is, makes me even more excited that I'm going to get to play in the same playground that Max Schreck did. Yeah. You know, uh, but virtually, but I'll, I'm going to be filmed on green screen and plopped into uh, uh, Max Schreck's world um, as Count Orlock. I've been looking so forward to this. Yeah, that, so, uh, that. so the casting is underway for for uh, all the other characters in the film, and the, the, I read the script, the final script recently, uh, and it is just goosebumpy good. It it really does when you add dialogue to a silent film, um, and he he stayed very respectful to the original story that you saw in in its silent version, but the dialogue does help. Uh, flesh out like what's missing from a silent film you know because in silent movies you see people like doing silent things and making gestures and then you know going on for minutes here and there and then you yeah. see a dialogue card come up that says yes mother yeah exactly <laughs> and like, like, i think there was something more there they yeah. said way more than that right yeah <laughs> so so that's what we get the chance to go back and do is fill in some gaps for you yeah those those um I guess I don't know. I guess they were publicity stills, but the the makeup test that you did with that full yes. Count Orlock makeup stunning. I mean, stunning. so like it's exactly what you said. It's this beautiful ugliness, but the makeup. You just one look at those pictures, and I want to. You're guaranteed to want to watch the entire film. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And for anybody who who happens to look those those test photos up of the Count Orlock makeup on me that we did a couple of years ago, actually. And that's another twist on the story. Mike Elizalde, who owns Spectral Motion Creature Shop, that uh, that made my Abe Sapien character and my Silver Surfer character that I wore, uh, uh, he is the makeup artist. He, was, he loves Nosferatu himself as well. And he has sculpted on my life cast in his garage on his, <laughs> in his free time his own Count Orlock, right, from uh, Nosferatu. <laughs> 
And one day, a, a few years ago, he, he called me up and said, hey, I got this makeup I've been sculpting. Uh, I ran the foam pieces. I want, I want to glue them on you. Do you want to come in for just a test makeup day just for fun? <laughs> yes, I do. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's when those photos were taken. And then so a couple of years after that is when David Lee Fisher calls me and says, would you want to do an Osferatu? I'm like, would I? <laughs> so, nah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, right. So this worked out really, 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 really well. And uh, yeah, But now those test photos that you saw, uh, they're still missing the eyebrows because there's some very – he does want to add an eyebrow that, that, that is more reminiscent of the original film from the 1922 look. And also the teeth are want to be reconfigured into that more buck tooth, you know, prominent two two front fangs as opposed to the side fangs. Uh, so so it, it'll be it'll be tweaked a little bit more from there even to to look a bit more classic like the original. So when you when you play a character that you're so fascinated with and you love, does it make it different for you when you're doing it on, on oh, camera? It's terrifying. Oh yeah. Uh, I was just like when I did the cabinet of Dr. Caligari to slip into the role of Cesare, the somnambulist who does all the killing for for Dr. Caligari. Uh, he's a very sympathetic character. He's, he's he's being he's actually a killer who's doing it against his own will. He's just kind of like being told what to do. Uh, so I I uh, oh gosh, and when you when you're when you're Playing a character in a in a redo of you, you'll always have a naysayer. You'll always have the film purists like remakes suck. They should never be done. Uh, so I want to make appease those people, make them those people happy. Just like I was talking about the comic book crowd. I, I don't want any lovers of the classic old original films to hate us or to hate the whole experience, like we're trying to ruin the original. Not at all. In fact, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is best watched as a double feature with the original film. I, if you watch the, the silent version first and, the, and they're short, they're only like 70 minutes long, so it's not bad. Um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a really amazing experience to see, uh, to see how respectful we were to the original film. It's not like, uh, let's put our own spin and twist on this mm -hmm. and make it like, a, you know, change the story and make him, you know, now he's a vegetarian who, uh, you know, <laughs> Always fighting for animal rights or something. That's not. Yeah, no, no, we're not updating it like that. So, um, so he. Uh, there won't you know, be any. Uh, you, he won't be drinking a can of Coke in the. In the no product placement. No product placement. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, no, nothing marketing and gratuitous like that. Right. 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 Um, I know we're running late. I just I I have to ask because I was a big Buffy fan. Um, yeah. And the Hush, the episode that you were in, is. It's my favorite, and it's one of the best, um, generally regarded as one of the best episodes of that series ever. Um, and it was definitely one of the most terrifying villains that that show ever saw. Um, but really quickly, again, if you've never seen this episode, it's on Netflix. Go watch it. It's in season four. Um, the episode is mostly silent. Um, the gentleman, um, you are the, the, the head gentleman, which look surprisingly a lot like Count Orlock. Um, but I'm wondering if because it was a silent character and it was very um, you needed to have a lot of, you know, action in, in your body you needed to do all the acting. I'm wondering if they came to you because of your background as a mime or was it your background as doing these characters or was it a combination of the two? It was a combo platter. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it was actually uh, uh, Joss Whedon was not aware of who I was. This is 1999. Remember, so this, right. is, this is a long time ago. Uh he, uh, he had no idea who I was. The casting office had no idea who I was. So my agent uh, my, that I'm still with at Omnipop Talent Group, 
they submitted me off of a breakdown that came out to all the agencies like, hey, looking for people who are physically expressive, non-dialogue, guest star role, very innovative, very yeah. cutting edge. You know I mean? uh, so, uh, so they submitted me for it. And then once like the casting office, once they saw the background that I had and, and the, the expertise that I might have brought into the room, they were like, oh, bring them in. So uh, when I went to the audition for that, um, I, I met Joss Whedon at that audition. Uh, and also in the same waiting room was Camden Toy, who played my my right hand gentleman. Okay. Uh, we we were the two leaders of the gentleman. Um, uh, he and I, I think there were six of us in yeah. total. I think there were six. You're right. Yeah. And six. Yeah. Um, and Camden and I were were uh, when we we floated around in pairs. Mm -hmm. So uh, Camden and I were the 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 main two. And uh, what Joss Whedon loved about Camden and I were that we gave him the willies in our audition. Yeah. So I think that <laughs> if you can give Joss Whedon a scare, you've done okay, I guess. I think. Uh, and that's minus uh, the makeup so too, right? That was minus the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it does not say much for Camden or I. But but, uh, uh, but we um, the if, if you see all, all the other the other four gentleman characters uh, if you go back and watch that episode it's called the hush episode by the way hush uh, if you go back and watch that you'll see that the 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 other gentlemen have those smiles those permanent smiles built into their masks I they have they have their, their I watched. I, I, this was my research last night. I, I only meant to watch a few scenes to refresh my memory, and 45 minutes later, I had been sucked in and watched the entire episode again because it was so good. Of course. And that jumped out at me that the other four gentlemen had that was that was it was I don't know if it was makeup or if it was a mask or what it was, but it was not yeah. their their mouth. Right. The, the the mouth on those masks were uh, external. They were they were on the outside of their own mouth, uh, and that's how the design was going to be originally for all of us yeah. until yeah. our audition. And when Joss saw my creepy smile and Camden's creepy smile, he was like, "Oh God, we have to redesign those two. Those two have to." So, so they redesigned the mouth of those masks to uh, glue down to our actual lips. Yeah. So we yeah. could manipulate and the movement of our own mouths. And they gave us uh, silver dentures to slide over our own teeth so that we could carry that huge smile ourselves. Uh, and so my, I got to tell you, you know how, how you, you're at a dinner party and you're laughing a lot and your face gets tired? Uh, yeah, I can't. Try, try, yeah, try working a week as a guest star on a show where you do nothing but I can't smile. even imagine. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't was, like a, that wasn't a little grin. That was a full on like hurt your face, oh, like smile. So it was hurt your face, big ass <laughs> mama honking smile. Yeah. But, uh, uh, no, but it was, it was really, uh, you know, a TV series, um, every, every episode is directed by somebody else. Writers are, are changed out and, 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 and rotated through. Uh, so for Joss Whedon himself to come out of his executive producer office and uh, write that episode and direct that episode, we knew it was going to be special going in. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was very innovative to, uh, to do over half that episode in complete silence with no verbal dialogue. Uh, the network uh, was rather, they were trying to convince him not to do it, I think, uh, because, you know, take audio away and you're, you're going to lose half your audience and they're going to yeah. flip channels. And that's their biggest concern as a network, of course, because they have advertisers to appease. Uh, but what, what happened was the opposite. Yeah. 
people did not change channels. They were they were leaning in and trying to, you know, oh my gosh, they don't want to miss one beat of this because you took the the, the verbal dialogue away and they had to watch had to intently watch. to keep keep track of the story. And it worked. It yeah. totally worked. That episode was nominated for an Emmy uh, the, that year. So only, I think it's the only episode of Buffy that was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I, I, I felt very, very honored to be a part of that little ride. Yeah, you were, you were terrifying. I got to tell you, it was <laughs> probably not the best thing for me to do last night, like after midnight, watching it before I went to bed. But you were sure. terrifying, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, you really are. The modern day man of a thousand faces. Lon Chaney has nothing on you, so <laughs> no, I, he has a lot on me. But thank you very much. <laughs> he's got age, he's got age on you at this point. But <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I'm very honored to, to when, uh, when my name is thrown in with his. I, I I feel like I'm sullying his name, but but I, I but I appreciate it more than you know. Thank you. But I, now, uh, also, if uh, if if we're getting close to the end of our hour, yeah. too, I, I probably should talk to. I should probably uh, tell your listeners to be sure and tune in yes. to my TV series, uh, Falling Skies, that I've been on for three years now, and we are now entering our final season, season number five. Uh, just started last week, uh, June twenty eighth on TNT, Sunday nights at ten, nine central, um, and uh, so it'll be running throughout the summer, uh, throughout August. Uh, um, and this is our, the writers knew going in that this was our final season, so they were able to write us to a big conclusion, and a, it'll make a good binge watch box set, you know, uh, one day with, with a full, complete story with closure. Yeah, um, yeah. which is not so my character that most shows get. So you yeah, guys, thank, are thank you. Lucky. Yeah, yeah, we, we are. We really are. Right. Uh, so, uh, uh, for those who don't know the, the backstory of Falling Skies, it is an, an alien invasion, a post-apocalyptic uh, story, uh, kind of like Walking Dead with aliens. Um, there's a faction of humans that are that are gathered and are fighting back, and that's led by Noah Wiley uh, and Will Patton, and uh, and uh, they uh, in season three is when my character was introduced. I, I, I landed on Earth as a new alien character to help the humans fight back the bad aliens who had taken over. So I'm a good guy and I'm more human looking than the other aliens. And, uh, my race is, and I speak English. And, uh, so I'm very accessible and very human like, and, uh, and Cochise is my name on the show. I'm the leader of the Volm aliens. And, uh, and I, uh, I, I, he's really become a beloved character. I, I, I love the response the fans have given me as Cochise. And um, he, he's kind of, and he looks, he's, he's adorable to look at too. He's, he's kind of like an, a, a grown up ET and Steven Spielberg is our executive producer. So it makes perfect sense. Right. right. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so I've had a great fun with that show and, and uh, it, it, it'll be going on throughout the summer. So please do tune in for sure. Uh, another thing to tune in for is I do two episodes uh, reprising my role of the leader of the ancient vampires in the strain uh, on the FX channel. Uh, also Sunday nights at 10, same exact time slot. So How here did I that happen? I, child, I don't know. <laughs> so, but uh, the strain starts, uh, uh, this is what, what's good about DVR and Netflix yeah, exactly. and Amazon yeah. Prime and all that, right? Uh, so um, my uh, uh, my first episode, uh, in, I, I, I'm, I'm in episode one and six of season two. So episode one starts airing uh, this coming next Sunday, the, the July 12th on the FX channel at 10. 
And um, yeah, the openings, I played two characters, actually, in the season opener. I do reprise my role of the leader of the ancients later in the episode. But the first scene you're going to see right out of the gates is a flashback that shows how the master became the master on the show. Okay. Uh, and I might be a part of that backstory. So I'll be in another heavy makeup, another another withered-looking vampire uh, that has something to do with how the master became the master. That's uh, so that's that's to be looked out for for sure. Yeah, I know we, we yeah. just we just chatted away an hour and we didn't even talk about the two current projects that you've got going <laughs> on. Um, but quickly about the strain, is Del Toro involved in that at all? I mean, they're based yeah. on his books, but I didn't. I don't know if he's involved in the show at all. Yes, uh, he in the same capacity that Steven Spielberg is on my other show, Falling Skies. Okay. Uh, uh, so uh, both men have their thumbprint on their shows for sure. Yeah. Uh, artistic decisions to go through them. Uh, Guillermo is, is is very very hands on with it though. Uh, he, in fact, um, because I was filming Falling Skies in Vancouver uh, when episode one and six were uh, were filming of the strain in Toronto, uh, they held my scenes for me. Uh, they waited for me until I could wrap up falling skies and then fly to Toronto, uh, much later. And because, because I, I filmed my bits outside of the, uh, the actual episode filming dates, uh, Guillermo himself came out of his office and directed my scenes. Wow. So it was really just fantastic to uh, to to be directed by him on 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 his you know pet TV project. So yeah, uh, yeah. so it's quite he's quite hands on, quite special, and that you can tell again the art direction and the visuals and the the uh, yeah, the, it just has his thumbprint all over it, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah, I was the books blew me away, and the show is just it's living up to it, and it's just it's yeah. it's really great to see that. Like you're saying, it's got his thumbprint. It, it, they didn't just take the title and the story and sort of run in a new direction. You know, it's it's definitely right. very much in his world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's great to see you busy. Is 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 what we well, should come you. down to. Thank you. <laughs> I, I yeah, you know, because when when you're a young actor starting out, this is this is the life you dream of. I, no one told me how stressful it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. That's like rule number one, then, right? So when you when when people ask you, like, you know, what's one thing I need to know as an aspiring as aspiring actor? Get used to stress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Carve out time to sleep and have some me time. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So before we go, do you want to uh, let people know how they can reach you online? What the, where they can find you? Those type of things. Sure. Um, I, if you're on any, any of the social medias, uh, well, I shouldn't say any, cause I'm, I, I don't do things like Snapchat. I don't even understand it. Right. But, um, <laughs> but I do, I am, uh, you can, if you do a Doug Jones search on Facebook, you'll find my verified like page. Uh, that's uh, hit the like button there. If you're looking to, to, uh, send a friend request to me, I can't add you because I'm at the 5,000 friend limit. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> my personal page, but find the like page and hit the like button there. Or if you find my personal page, hit the follow button there. You can do that too. I have a, I built the follow button in because I, I want people to find, be able to, to keep in touch wherever wherever you do find me. Uh, that's Facebook. Also, Twitter, Actor Doug Jones. Uh, I'm also Actor Doug Jones on uh, Instagram. I'm also Actor Doug Jones on the Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> and I also am on LinkedIn. Do a Doug Jones search on LinkedIn. You'll find me there, too. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk to us. Um, this has been great. Um, and I know we went a little bit longer than we had planned on, but this has been, we just had such a great time talking to you. So thank you so much. 
Well, I told you I was a bit of a talker. So if you're oh. planning a half hour to 45 minutes, I'll go an hour plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for the podcast this week. What a fantastic conversation. I was telling Jamie off, off air that um, every time I think I have a favorite interview, it just it changes the next time we do an interview. <laughs> yeah, this was a good one. I mean, it's it's just like we said at the top of the show, you know, it's that whole, the practical effects get, put the mask on and just be the monster or just inhabit that role that is so foreign to, you know, being a human. And it's just, it's fascinating. And it's, it's, um, he, he is one of the, one of the greats that's working today. And, yeah. and he's so incredibly passionate about, about what his character is and how he plays them. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we recorded this a couple weeks ago. Um, so he, he had mentioned the, uh, the upcoming season of falling skies, which is now past tense, but definitely check it out. Um, so right now the places you can see him falling skies, the final seasons on TV right now, the uh, season two of the strain is on. He's in a couple episodes of that. Um, he's got, uh, crimson peak coming up, uh, in the, in October, it comes out. And keep an eye on that um, Nosferatu remix that he's doing uh, that was funded by Kickstarter. Um, filming starts this fall, and hopefully um, we'll be able to watch it pretty soon after that. Perfect. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be good. So if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, we are on Twitter. We are on the tweet. Uh, on, on the tweets? <laughs> we are on the tweets. Uh, we are at the GBB podcast, and it is the same for Facebook. Facebook.com slash the GBB podcast. Reach out. Let us know what you think. And I got to say, Jamie, while we were recording, I put it out there. We were recording Doug Jones, and I got four or five messages from people who were like, you're seriously interviewing him? Uh, <laughs> Abe Sapien? They're like, you're interviewing him? And I was like, yeah. Well, we're not interviewing Abe Sapien. No. <laughs> he wasn't, like, in character. No, no, no. But that, that's kind of their reaction. So I think this is going to – I hope you guys liked it. Yeah. Yeah, this was, this was a good one. And if you didn't like it, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, if you didn't like it, go listen to Lou Mangello Disney podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went there. All right, all right, guys. See thanks. you next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs>